got your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're finishing off today looking together at the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Thanks be to God for his reading. Lord, as we just focus today on the sword of the Spirit, we ask again that you would come and speak to us, teach us. Lord, as we look into your word, you have promised through your spirit to do just that, to teach us your truth. And so we open our hearts and our minds to you now. Speak to us for your children, your sons and your daughters are listening. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. We said together as we've looked at this, we need to put on this armor. Our battle, it says, is not against flesh and blood, that that our battle, we are engaged, whether we like it or not, in a spiritual battle. And we need the spiritual armor of God that is given to every single believer if we're going to live and work and minister in that battle, if we're going to be victorious. You don't see a, a combat troop going into a war zone today without any equipment on them. Even though the equipment has changed since Roman times, where Paul uses this analogy of the Roman armor, to what we have today, still they go in ready prepared. They have everything they need for every eventuality. And it's the same for us. If we're going to be engaged in this battle, if we're going to actually be useful and not just get completely overawed and overcome in the battle, we need to put on the spiritual armor. And it said, first of all, you put the belt on. The belt held everything together. The belt of truth that we listen to God's truth about ourselves, not what the world says, not what other people, or even ourselves, we think about ourselves. But we say, this is what God says about me. This is the truth about who I truly am, because God says that, and what God says is true. And then we put on the breastplate of righteousness, which covers the core of who we are, our heart, our internal organs. And the heart in the Bible is the core of us. It's, it's when all the... All the facades are taken away. Who are you really at the very core of yourself? And we put on the breastplate to, to cover that, to protect that from attacks of the enemy. Your feet are fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That we are to have the peace of God which passes all understanding, guiding our thoughts and our hearts in Christ Jesus. But we're also, the gospel means that we take that peace to others. Blessed are the peacemakers. It says in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, and we are to take the peace of God to other people. Then we need to take up the shield of faith. 
The shield of faith is, is the shield that we hold that, that protects us when all these arrows come. This is the secondary armor, if you like. And so the shield, the enemy will be firing those fiery darts over at us constantly, trying to attack us. But we have a, a shield of faith, a, a shield that trusts in the promises of God that it says can extinguish every single arrow that the enemy seeks to fly at us and to break us and to get us down and to get us depressed and to get us useless because we think we can't do things. And then we looked at last time the helmet of salvation. We put on the helmet which protects, the salvation which protects us, protects our mind, protects our thoughts, protects who we are. And we put that on over us to protect us. And then the last part today, it says, and we take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so last of all, we pick up our sword, which is, it says, the Word of God. Dr. Guthrie said this, he said, the Bible, the Word of God, is an armory of heavenly weapons a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady. It is the balm for every womb. If you rob us of our Bible, it's as though the sky has lost the sun. Wesley said this, he said, the Bible must have been written by God or good men or bad men or good angels or bad angels. And then he said, but bad angels wouldn't have written it because it condemns bad men and bad angels and they wouldn't have condemned themselves. And good men and good angels wouldn't have written it because then they wouldn't have wanted to deceive other people by lying as to its authority and claiming that God wrote it. And so the Bible must have been written as it claims to have been written by God, who by his Holy Spirit inspired men to record his words using the human instrument to, to communicate his truth. We have in our hands the Word of God, an incredible tool, an incredible weapon to use in this spiritual fight, in our spiritual journey of faith. The question is, what, what is that sword and how then do we use it? How do we use God's Word in this battle? How do we effectively take up that sword and start fighting and start moving forwards? Well, turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews, just a few books later. Hebrews chapter 4. Familiar passage in verse 12. It says this. Hebrews 4 verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's just think about that for a moment. What is it that we have? It says we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here in Hebrews, it describes for us what the Word of God. First it says the Word of God in verse 12 is living. Now, when we meet living things, we, living means that we can have a relationship. You guys are living, I hope. So I can have a relationship with you and you can with me. If you were an inanimate object sitting there, 
I can't really go over to this microphone and say, I'd really like to have a relationship with you. Oh, you're just a beautiful microphone. It doesn't do much. It doesn't respond. Actually, it's going to be quite a good relationship. It doesn't answer back. But, but you don't really, oh, I'm in love with that microphone. No, it, it doesn't. You don't have a, it's not living. It's dead. It's inanimate. Sometimes we get a bit confused in our lives and we put more, uh, more kind of um, weight in inanimate objects than we do in people. But we shouldn't. Living things affect us, whether it's people or, or pets. How many of you have a pet that you talk to? Come on, be honest, you're in church. Right? How many? Yeah, of course, we all do. Oh, little doggy. Oh, he's so sweet. Little cat, and then you rub it the wrong way. And it's like a nasty cat. And you start talking to these animals, don't you? And you have a relationship with them. And you do that because then when you, you know, I grew up with a little, with a little dog, and name was Shandy. And you have a relationship so that when you call Shandy, the Shandy comes running. And, and Shandy will come licking you and, and sharing the love of dog breath and saliva all over you. And you have a relationship. And when, when we had to put that little dog down when he was too old, it really hurt us as a family. There was an emptiness there. Well, some people have relationships with their plants. How many of you have green fingers and you sing to your plants? You don't need to answer that. That's slightly worrying. You know, but you talk to them and sing. And there's all these things. Oh, you play Mozart or Beethoven or something. It's supposed to grow better. But you have relationships. Why? Because they're living. They're not quite, they don't quite give you the response that a pet does. Unless it's kind of a goldfish. I don't suppose they do much. But you know what I mean. But you still have a reaction and you go, oh, look, look at my plant. It's growing really nicely. And you, you kind of feel pleased about it and you nurture it and you care for it and you look after it. It's living. Now, how is the sword, how is the word of God then living? Because this is the word of God. I don't talk to my Bible. Oh, Bible, you're so beautiful. You're so lovely. It's, it's a book. How do we call it? Why is it called living? Well, turn over in your Bibles to John 16. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he's instructing them in John 16. Verse 12 and 13, he says, I have much more to say to you. This is just before he's, he, he prays and then he's going to go into Gethsemane and die. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And then if you go back a little bit, he's continuing to talk about the Holy Spirit in verse chapter 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And again, further on in that same chapter in 26, he says, but the counselor or the Holy Spirit whom my Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, the words that we have in the Scriptures are a conduit through which the Holy Spirit flows. God's Spirit flows through you and me, but He also flows through His Word. 
The Spirit of God takes the Word, and, and when we preach the Word, when we say the words, when we know the words, when we allow these words to come off of the page and to affect us or to affect others, it's a channel by which the Spirit works. That's why back in Hebrews, he says the Word of God is living. Because it's not living in a sense that no Word is living, but it's living because the Spirit takes it and makes it alive in people's lives. In Isaiah 40 verse 8, it says about the Word of God never, will never fade away. It will always be there. Other things will fade, but the Word of God will go on forever. And it's living in two different ways. Firstly, it's living because it is the means by which we're saved. In 1 Peter 1.23, it says this. It says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. You cannot become a believer in Jesus Christ except through hearing and receiving the Word of God. Paul said it in Romans as well, Romans 1 verse 16. He says this, let me just find it a moment, Romans 1 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, why? Because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So first of all, the Word of God, the Spirit takes the Word of God and touches people's lives and brings them into the family of God. At the end of John's gospel, he writes these words, that, that the reason he has written his whole gospel is so that people will read it and believe. So John wrote his gospel so that people would read it, and through the words, the Spirit would touch them, and they would be drawn into that relationship with Jesus Christ. There would be change in their lives. And so first it's active because it brings us into that relationship with Christ. We cannot come into a relationship with Christ except the Word of God touching our lives through the instrument of the Holy Spirit. But it's secondly, it brings also refreshment to us. It's not just for the first time where we have that relationship with Christ. It brings that continual refreshment. Psalm 119, we're not going to read the whole psalm because we'll be here till next Saturday evening. But Psalm 119, one of the most amazing psalms, if not the most amazing. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk in according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, then I'd not be put to shame. When I consider all your commands, I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so it goes on and on and on about God's word. The word of God is living because it continues to revive our soul. Psalm 19 verse 7 says that. The Word of God revives us, revives our soul. We cannot grow as believers if we do not read God's Word. It's as simple as that. 
If somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I'm stagnating, I'm not really growing, ask them, first question, how often are you reading God's Word? Because if you're not reading His Word, you're not going to grow. If you read His Word, it allows the Spirit of God to come in and help you to grow. That's one reason why we read. You read it even if you don't feel like reading it. Just read it. Because you open yourselves up and allow God's Spirit to come in. How many times have you ever done something that you really didn't want to do? And you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. What do I have to do this for? And then actually when you did it, at the end of it, you were going, oh, that was really good. I don't know why I felt like that at the beginning, because I feel completely different afterwards. It's the same when we read God's Word sometimes. We go, oh, I'm so busy. I don't know if I've got time. Read it. Just get in the habit of reading and reading and reading. Because as we read it, it continues to infuse us and revives us and strengthens us and helps us to grow. Even when sometimes we don't feel like it, we open ourselves up and God's Spirit can come in and revive us. So continue. It's active. It's active in our lives. The Word of God is living. It's active, it says. Now, active means it's got energy. It's from the same Greek word that says energy. Somebody wrote this. They said, there are words written in the Bible by kings, by emperors, by princes, by sages, by philosophers, by fishermen, by statesmen, by men learned in wisdom of Egypt, educated in the schools of Babylon, and trained at the feet of rabbis in Jerusalem. It was written by men in exile, in the desert, in shepherd's tents, in green pastures and beside still waters. Among the authors we find a tax gatherer, a herdsman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. We find poor men, rich men, statesmen, preachers, captains, lawyers, judges and exiles. The Bible is a library full of history, genealogy, ethnology, law, ethics, prophecy, poetry, eloquence, Medicine, sanitary science, political economy, and the perfect rules for personal and social life. And behind every word is the divine author, God himself. It's active because God has written his word to his people for generation to generation. Isaiah 55 says that it will not return empty. The word of God goes out. And it doesn't come back empty-handed. It's active. Why? Because it's infused with the Holy Spirit. It's one of the reasons I've fallen in love with preaching. You know, in my first preaching class in college, I was a reluctant student. I remember going up to the, uh, to the professor and I said, I don't even know why I'm here. What's preaching ever done except enabled me to spend time counting bricks and stained glass window panels in churches. I have never changed because of a preacher. And the guy said, well, maybe you've never heard good preaching. And I said, that's nonsense. I've heard good preaching. I've been to big auditoriums in London, and I've heard great big preachers, but it's not, I don't remember any of it. And he just says, maybe you've never heard good preaching. And then at the end of each session, the end of the morning and the end of the afternoon, he put on a tape recording of what he considered to be some of the best sermons he'd ever heard. At the end of that first sermon that we listened to, 
there wasn't one student that wasn't crying because the word of God had touched their heart. And we just sat there and walked out in silence. Not because the preacher was so great. If I told you who it was, you wouldn't even know his name. But because he was a conduit who opened up the word of God and allowed the spirit of God to come in and touch people's hearts. I fell in love with preaching that day because of what it did to me. See, it won't return empty. It's active. It's a channel by which the Spirit of God flows into our lives. And so when we pick up the sword of the Spirit, we're picking up that channel by which the Spirit of God can flow. Do you think like that when you look at God's Word? That's how we're to think. That's how we're to treat His Word. He goes on, he says, it's living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joint and marrow. Now, the double-edged sword was the one we were looking at with the helmet of salvation, the big long sword that they wielded on the cavalry that tries to knock your head off. It's not that kind of a sword. And the Greek word, both in Ephesians and here, is different. It's talking about a little sword. Like a, like a dagger or a little, uh, little sword that's more pointed, more thin, that can kind of get in between things. But it's razor sharp. It's like sharp and, and piercing and it cuts deeply when it cuts. And what it does is it comes in and it attacks us at the core of who we are, our conscience. It attacks in the context of Ephesians into the relationships where there are struggles, where there are things that are not as they should be. And it's God doing, doing his, his surgery through his word into our lives. And he does it to bring healing and wholeness. You know, I remember a, a number of years ago, I used to go to the gym quite a bit. And one time in the gym, I felt my shoulder go really bad. And then it got stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. And finally, I, I used to wake up at night. I couldn't move my arm. I could only bend it up to about here. And, and at nighttime, every time I rolled on this side, it was so painful. It used to wake me up. And my wife kept saying to me, well, go see the doctor. Go see, ah, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. And finally, when I'd lost enough sleep and my pride had got the better of me and, uh, you know, and I'd laid it down. I went to see the doctor and I said, my shoulder's really sore. And he said, you've got scarring tissue in there. That's why you can hardly move it. You can only move it up to here. So what did they do? What I, they, they sent me up to Mount Vernon. I, I went, I had an operation. They cut in the front, they cut in the back, and they cut out all that scarring tissue. All the stuff that had, that had got messed up, that had got hardened, that was stopping the rest of my arm working properly. They cut it out. And then, I mean, I was on drugs at the time, and the guy, I came out of the, the surgery. I was being knocked out, and, uh, you know, you, you're high as a kite when you come out. And this, this guy said to me, this uh, physio, he goes, can you put your arm up? And I went, yeah, like this. And it's all bandaged up, and it started bleeding again then, but that wasn't a good idea. But I was going, it's, it's fixed. 
And over the next few months when I had physio, I could then move my arm right over my head again for the first time. And that's the kind of surgery that God does through his word into our lives. It's cutting out all the scarring stuff, all the stuff that gets in there that messes us up, that means we can't move properly, that hurts us, that wakes us up at night. And he goes in with his sharp, pierced, two-edged sword. And he says, it's going to hurt a bit, but I have to do this to get rid of all this stuff out of your life. I need to cut it out. Because if I don't cut it out, you're always going to be in pain. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And so he comes in and it says here, it's, it's penetrating to divide Eden's soul and spirit joined to marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. It comes in and it cuts out all that stuff that we don't need. And it brings that freedom and that healing. And God uses his word to do that. How? He says, because he judges our hearts. A heart is the core of me. And when it says God judges, he's not sitting there as an angry parent judging us. Oh, you messed up, David, again. Oh, you didn't do what I asked you to do. Oh, you're a bad boy. Go to your room. It's not like that. What he's saying is it's like judging. He's, he's just opening up our hearts and saying, let me see what we see. Let me show the true self. Let me show you where that scar tissue is. So that you can give it to me so that I can cut it out for you. It's a gentle God that we serve. A God that loves us, that cares for us, that wants us to be the best that we can be. He doesn't want us to be encumbered with all this scarring around. You remember, it's, it's kind of like when we read the word of God. It's kind of like Snow White. You know Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Do you know the mirror in that thing? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? And the wicked witch looks in the mirror, and who does she see? Snow White. Why? Because Snow White is the fairest. The mirror cannot lie. And in the same way, when we look into God's word, it doesn't lie to us. That's part of the love-hate relationship that we have with the word of God. Because we come to the Word of God and we read it and we look into it. And what it does is it, it reveals me to myself as I truly am. And part of that I don't want to see. But part of it I love seeing because I know then God can do his work in me. And so the Word of God comes in and it does that. It's got that power to judge us, not negatively, but just to reveal to us like a mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the most godly of them all? Arthur Christ. David, how are you? How are you getting on? Be perfect as I am perfect. How are you doing, David? Let me show you. Let me reveal through the words and the pages of this book. Through the scripture, the word of God revealed by the Holy Spirit. It judges us. You know, last Sunday... We were looking at the 130 service. We were looking at the sword of the Spirit. And afterwards, I, I told people, just, just go, let's pray for a bit. Let's just like, uh, God, I felt God speaking to people in the congregation. And I said to them, let's just be quiet. Let's play and 
and uh, got uh, Anesimo to come up and play on the keyboards. And I went and I sat down over the side here and I was praying and the Lord said, open up the microphone. It's always a dangerous thing when you open the microphone. You're never quite sure who's going to come, what they're going to say, how long is it going to be, and so on. But the Lord just said, open it. And I went, are you sure? He went, open the microphone up. And I just got up and I said, you know, is there anybody that wants to share? And a number of people came forward and they started sharing about how the sword or the, the shield of faith had been effective in their life and the difference it had made in their life. You know, that's what the Word of God does. It takes those words through the Holy Spirit and it attached people's lives. And some were so touched that they felt able to come others. So others were touched and they talked afterwards or they just kept it to themselves. But the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in partnership with the Word of God as we look together at the shield of faith. It then went into their lives and they suddenly saw the difference it started to make and, and how they had changed because of the Word of God and the shield of faith and what difference it had made in their lives. It had judged them. It had opened them up so they could see. And then they were able to respond and encourage everybody else. It was a beautiful moment of encouragement for, for us that were listening to how God's Word had made a difference in their lives. That is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, how do we use it, really briefly? Well, first of all, we need to treasure it. We need to pick it up and use it. You know, like, how many of you grew up with a teddy? Come on, be honest. Or an equivalent, you know what I'm talking about. Now, what happened to it? Well, after a while, it... The stuffing starts coming out, doesn't it? The eyes fall off. It ceases to look very much like it did when you first got it. Why? Because you've loved it to bits. And you've kept on loving it and loving it and loving it and loving it. And you kept on taking it with you. And, and you've, you've had it in bed and you've probably drooled all over it some nights. And, 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 you know, and, and it's got messed up and, it, and it's not looking that healthy. But what is it? It's loved. Like, it's like uh, Toy Story, isn't it? When they're cast out. I used to be so loved. The Word of God needs to be like that. You should have a Word of God that is, that is falling apart, that is, that is so well used. Because that means that you've treasured it, that you've, you've, you've loved it, you've, you've kept it, you've, you've used it as it wants to be used. What's the point in having a Bible if all it does is sit on your shelf and looks nice? Or it's in pristine condition? I'd rather see someone with a Bible that's got bits missing and is falling all over the place because then you know the kind of believer that you're looking at. Treasure God's Word. Use God's Word. Let it become part of who you are. Secondly, read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. You see, the Word of God has two functions. One is for defense along with the shield. You remember Jesus in Luke chapter 4 in the temptations in the wilderness? How does he battle against the enemy? He uses the Word of God. The enemy comes and says, do this, do this, do this. Turn these stones into bread. No, but the Word of God says. 
Hey, come up to the highest place, throw yourself off. No, because the word of God says. Bow down before me. No, because the word of God says. He uses it for defense. And part of what we need to do is to learn God's word, to understand God's word, to have God's word inside of us so that it is there when we need to use it for defense. It's no good when those temptations come. Oh, wait a minute, let me see what God's word says. And we then start reading it. You know, when somebody comes to me and says, David, I've got this issue, I've got this problem. I can't go, oh, well, I, I haven't quite got, I've only just finished halfway through Genesis at the moment. Can you come back in a year's time when I've got through the rest of the Bible? You know, it doesn't work that way. You don't, you don't want to go to a doctor, do you? And say, well, uh, uh, you know, I've got this ingrowing toenail. Well, I'm sorry, I, I, I haven't studied toenails. I, I'm starting at the head. And I'm working my way down. You want them to know what to do or, or to know how to find out. So we need to study God's word so that it becomes part of us. So we're ready to use it at a moment's notice when we need to. Then we need to apply it, trust it, obey it. In John 15, this is Jesus talking about the vine and the branches. Beautiful passage of scripture. But there's full of ifs. If you do this, then he'll do that. If you remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. If anyone does not remain in me, he's not going to bear any fruit. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it's going to be given to you. But only if, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. If you're being disobedient, out goes the love. You're not going to feel it. You're not going to experience it. Only, he says, if you obey my commands, you remain in love. If you're disobedient, forget it. If you do what I command, verse 14, greater love has no one. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's so we have to apply it and obey it. We have to do what it says. There's no good reading God's word and saying, well, I like that bit, but I don't like that bit. I'm not going to do that bit. I'll only do that bit. He says, take it or leave it. It's God's word. Obey it. And if you put it into practice in your life, if you apply it, trust it into your life, then you'll see the power of God's word at work in and through you. And lastly, we use it in the offense. You speak the truth into other people's lives. Now, what you don't necessarily do is go about quoting it. There's nothing worse, is there? Sitting having a nice coffee with someone in Starbucks or in Costas. And they tell you something and you go, Ah, but God's word in uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 58 says this. I mean, like, you just don't do that. Because they'll be out the door before, you know. But what you do is if you know God's word, you can bring God's word into the conversation. You don't have to say, oh, and so and so and so and so, but you say, you know what I found in my life? These principles, these words, they work. Why do they work? Well, because God ordained it to work in the first place. And so we say, you know what? Let me tell you a story. You know what? I found that when I stay in God's love, when I'm obedient to God, then things, you know, I, I experience the love of God in a far better way. You can say things like that than saying, well, in John chapter 15, verse 14, it says, you are my friends if you do what I can, you know? 
You can say God's word. And when you speak God's word, the power of the Spirit comes through what you're saying. And you will see people change. Because what you're doing is opening up that conduit for the Spirit of God to flow through. And you use God's word in your prayer life too. When you pray, as we have our prayers here in this service, quote God's word as Tim did today. God's word says, God's word says, God's word says. Because when you use God's word, you are allowing the spirit of God to come into those prayers, into those people's lives. Impacting them for now and for all eternity. The Bible says the word of God is one of the most vital parts of our armor. It's a privilege to be having it. I saw a picture the other day of believers. I can't remember what part of the world, but they they smuggled in some Bibles. And they were there picking it up with such care. First time they'd have a Bible in their hands. And it was just the joy in their lives, on their faces, to have the Word of God in their language, in their hands. We need to recognize the privilege that we have been entrusted, that we have the very Word of God here. Use it to break down the strongholds. Let me close with this. Don't know if you know about the story about the mutiny on the bounty. Famous ship years ago. Well, after they they mutineered against the Captain Blythe, killed him off, threw him overboard. And then the nine mutineers, along with some Tahitian men and women who accompanied them, they found their way to Pitcairn Island, which is just a tiny little island in the South Pacific. It's only two miles long and a mile wide. There were nine mutineers, along with all these Tahitian men and women. Ten years later, because of the drink, the arguments that they'd had, there was only one man that was left alive, a guy called John Adams. They'd argued, they'd fallen out, they'd got inebriated from alcohol, they'd killed one another off. John Adams was the only guy left. Him, along with 11 women and 23 children, made up the whole island's population. What happened was that as John Adams was searching through the bottom of an old chest one day, he came across the Bible that was on the bounty. And he began to read it. And through reading it, the Holy Spirit started to work in his life. And the Holy Spirit came in and changed him in isolation on that island. Changed his heart changed his life and he stopped the alcohol and he stopped the fighting and he stopped the quarreling and his life transformed and he sat down and he started teaching all these women and children from the bible until everybody on that island had experienced the same change the same salvation today the population slightly less than 100 on pitcairn island But nearly every person is a Christian because of the word or the work of John Adams. No, because of the work of God's word in their lives.
when you take up the sword of the Spirit, you are taking up the power of God. You're taking up the presence of God's Spirit, the potential for God's Spirit to come in and transform you and to transform others for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the armor that you give to us. Every piece of that armor is essential for us to live the lives that you want us to live. Because we're in a battle. Life is not easy. You never promised to us that when we become believers that all our problems are going to be over. In fact, you say the opposite, that the arrows of the enemy are just going to start firing over even more. And yet you have given us everything we need to be able to stand firm and to move forwards and to take ground. Lord, forgive us when we forget to put on the armor. Remind us each day to put on every piece of armor that we are fully protected. And as we've talked about and shared today, to pick up that sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that we may go forwards and make a difference in our world, transforming it for your glory. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen.